Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Y Football Podcast with me, Michael Dryden and Eches Adokru. Today, I am very pleased to say we are joined by Ben Stanfield. Ben is the founder and host of the Total Saints podcast, a podcast dedicated to all things Southampton. And he's joining us today as we look at Southampton's mixed season so far. Ralph Hasenhutl, projections for the rest of the season and beyond that. Uh, so, Ben, welcome to the show. Um, firstly, how are you? And secondly, is mixed the right way to describe the season so far? <laughs> yeah, no, thanks very much for having me on, guys. I, I really appreciate it. It's nice, um, I think, always to... Uh, the shoes on the other foot, I spend my life uh, hosting my podcast. And it's nice <laughs> to come on and answer a few questions. Hopefully sound like I know what I'm talking about. But uh, yeah, I think um, I think mixed is the the perfect word, Michael. Roller coaster is probably uh, another one that I'd use. But as a Saints fan of 35 <laughs> years, you get used to being on the roller coaster. You, we were just talking, weren't we, about you being a Sunderland fan. You'll know exactly what a roller coaster is. So uh, yep. yeah, we had a, a, a fantastic first half of the season. We were celebrating being the top of the league and then uh, suddenly here we are you know 10 games to go we're we're looking over our shoulder and hoping Fulham don't win too many games to be honest with you <laughs> <laughs> yeah well Sunderland's neighbours uh, Newcastle are currently the team that or the big team and mainstay of the league that everyone's kind of looking at and thinking are they mm. going to be the ones to drop but I suppose Southampton aren't too far off that currently um particularly that loss to Brighton didn't help yeah. that did it no I mean we probably need oh, one more win, maybe one more win in a draw, and then we're just about safe. Because I mean, you're looking at Fulham and Newcastle, and Fulham are what seven points behind us, so they've pretty much got to win probably five of their last remaining games to sort of catch up and things like that as well, which would be a, a tough ask. So yeah, I don't think you can ever be too comfortable, and I think you, you, Saints have maybe been uh, a little um, sort of neglectful at taking their foot off the pedal the last few weeks. I think they probably thought they were cruising to safety, and then uh, as you well know, guys, it's uh, hard to try and claw back the momentum sometimes when it's going against you. Yeah, no, right, right, rightly so. Um, I think what we will do, Ben, is we'll start on a brighter note, and we'll discuss, <laughs> we'll discuss, we'll discuss the FA Cup win against Bournemouth. Because, Lovely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think, I think, no matter when something's going poor for a season, cup football can almost be an escape. Um, so, kind of the first question I kind of had was, as a, as a Saints fan during this kind of season that you'd, yeah, you're going through, um, do you think Southampton can actually win it? Or has the journey been good enough for you to just say, okay, let's sack this off now and focus on the league? So I guess as we all look at it with Manchester City in there, you, you can never say, I think you've you've got an overly good chance. Um, obviously, we, <laughs> we did quite well to avoid them in the semi, so it does give us a chance. Um, of course, we're playing Leicester, a team that I, I still can't take the score. It makes me shake too much. But uh, obviously, Leicester beat us by X nil uh, a few years back. <laughs> and uh, yeah. um, so, you know, of course, there's going to be a lot of chat about that. But I, I think being honest, actually, um, it's, it's, this sounds really um, sort of, I suppose, modern day fanish to say, but... Even before the Bournemouth game at the weekend, I think because Saints have lost 10 out of 12 in the league, it was a bit like, oh, you know, it's a struggle to really get yourself up for it. And I think that's partly because, you know, we can't get to games at the moment and we're obviously in this sort of lockdown cycle. And I, I was sort of reflecting on it after the game, thinking we just reached the semi-final FA Cup, you know, the greatest cup competition probably in the world. I think, again, as I just said, being a Saints fan of 35 years, I've, I've grown up and lived with the FA Cup. And I think it's something that we're never going to win the Premier League. So you want to have a good mm. cup run and you get to the semi-final, and you almost sort of take it for granted. I mean, we've, we've won four games. We've not even let a goal in. They've done really, really well in that. And I think as a fan, I should be a lot more grateful and a lot more gracious about the fact that we've done that. So, Actually, I'm starting to sort of try and flip my perception around and say, do you know what? Fair play. We've reached the semi-final. I should really get excited about this. Yes, we got a chance of beating Leicester. Likewise, they'll think they've got a chance of beating us. But 
ultimately, mm. it's a chance for us to save our season. And I, I said this to the guys on our pod at the weekend. If 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 someone had said to us at the start of the season, with ten games to go in the league, you'll be fourteenth in an FA Cup semi final, would we have taken that yes or no? And I think the overriding answer was yes. And the, mm-hmm. the the fact that we're maybe thinking about it so negatively is because we've lost ten out of twelve in the league and we've only gone one direction. So it's a funny old game, as someone once said. Yeah, it is, it is indeed. And kind of the question I kind of had was, I, I saw a table, um, I'm an Arsenal fan, so sometimes when I'm uh, being attacked by my friends about Arsenal not being very good, I always uh, put a picture up of the Premier League table since Christmas, because um, I think we're third in that. Yeah, but actually, that's not a good um, idea where we are. Yeah, <laughs> you've read my mind. You've read my, you've read my mind there. Yeah, you should be, you should be a detective. Um, but um, unfortunately, Southampton are at the bottom. Mm, I thought you were going to say that. <laughs> and the question I kind of had was, what's gone wrong since Christmas? It's such an open-ended question, but yeah, how has it gone so wrong? I think there's a variety of sort of mitigating factors. I think first things first, um, they've lost form. You know, I, I think, you know, it sounds sarcastic to say that probably, but the players that were performing so well before Christmas, I think they just, the eights and nines and 10 out of 10s that we were getting have become five, sixes and sevens. And Ralph Hasenhutl said earlier in the season, we have to be at 100% to beat teams. You know, undoubtedly, uh, we've beaten Liverpool. I mean, that ironically before Sheffield United the other night, that was the the last game we'd won. You know, they're the champions. So that just reiterates the sort of funny season we've had. We had a lot of injuries and, uh, you know, lots of clubs have had injuries because of this compressed season. I don't think Saints have managed it very well. I think they tried to rush players back because they've been struggling a little bit. And then, you know, as we saw with Carl Walker-Peters, he came back, he played two games in four days. He was then out for another three weeks. So mm. they've had about eight, nine players out at Chain. The, the problem with Saints is, you know, anyone outside the top six probably has this problem. We've probably got 15 or 16 top quality players. Now, if you suddenly get eight or nine injuries, you're then playing uh, eight or nine senior players. You've got a couple of youngsters in. I mean, everyone will remember that game at Manchester United when we bought a 19-year-old and he got sent off after 73 seconds. You know, that's, <laughs> that, that's kind of just the scenario we went through. So I think playing Saturday, Wednesday, Sunday, Tuesday, you know, that sort of thing really didn't help. So First things first, I think they lost um, their confidence. I think the manager made a few mistakes along the way uh, and, and it's just kind of snowballed from there. But I think to be fair to them, you know, the injuries have not helped and they're starting to get a few players back now. We picked up a draw against Chelsea. We beat Sheffield United. You know, we beat uh, Bournemouth. There's a little bit of momentum again now heading in the right direction. You mentioned the, the 9-0 with, with United. Uh, I know form has started to dip a little bit. I've got my I've got my, my form book up in front of me. You lost against Aston Villa the game before, mm. but do you think that has been a factor, or because it is a very much an anomaly as it was with the Leicester result? Yeah, it's. I mean, I suppose another mitigating factor. Again, every team has suffered with this, so I think it's it's naive of me to sit here and say this has been the the major issue. But I think for any neutral that watched that um, Aston Villa game, we had a, a really blatant handball against Matty Cash that uh, wasn't given at nil nil. It went to Mike Dean somehow. You know, didn't see it. We then had. Danny Ings was about, you know, a Nats whisker offside in the 94th minute with an equaliser. We then went Mm. up to United and, again, we had Mike Dean, who's been the VAR against Villa three days before and not given us a penalty. (laughs) Everyone will remember, I mean, Anthony Martial dived and he went over and watched it on the screen and then still gave the penalty and sent Bednarok off, sorry, and that was at 6-0. And, again, you know, there's no excuse for shipping nine goals, but I think... That game, unlike Leicester, I mean, Leicester totally played us off the part of the night when they beat us. But mm. to be fair, I think the last three goals there were kind of, you know, Mike Dean had pretty much sucked all the wind out of Saints. They were playing with nine men. United were all over us at that stage. And I think that was kind of the mitigating situation. So again, VAR hasn't been our friend the last few weeks, but I think every <laughs> club every club could say that. 
Yeah, I think I think it's spot on. Um, yeah, the, the the challenge which uh, one of the red cards was given for the second one um, hurt me as well because Arsenal had a very similar challenge uh, with David Luiz against Wolves. Um, Wolves yeah, right, so it's we won't get dragged into the whole what is a penalty, is a double jeopardy, and all that sort of stuff because I'll end up in mm. tears. So what we will talk. <laughs> but the weird thing, actually, yeah. but, the, but the weird thing is, right? So Jan Bednarik's got rescinded, right? So he then played at Newcastle, but David Luiz's didn't, and they were very, very similar tackles. And I think that probably sums up for all of us the kind of the frustration of being a fan at the moment. Yeah, it is, it is a massive frustration, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, David, Louis, David Louis is an interesting one because he's kind of he's got that reputation as an Ian's. Yeah, if I if we could do a whole episode on uh, <laughs> refereeing decisions this season from VAR to on the field decisions, but I won't get dragged into it too much. But what you did speak about uh, was momentum and um, mm-hmm. how Southampton had lost theirs. Do you think they should have done more in the January transfer window? I know Minamino uh, came in and scored that wonderful goal against Chelsea where he sent two mm. players to the chip shop and back. But um, <laughs> do you think they needed to do more, especially in the fullback area? I know Southampton are a bit light yeah. at the moment. 100% in the fullback uh, situation. Yeah, I mean, that, uh, as fans, that was like our number one prime position that we needed to sort out. And uh, in true St. Starlecce, we ended up loaning Jan Valerie to uh, Birmingham, who was our spare right back. And uh, as Michael will well know, Jake Vakins, who was our spare left back, went to Sunderland. So... So not only did we then not have any cover, we didn't bring anyone else in. And ironically, um, we contacted Liverpool about Nico Williams late in the day. And they said, well, Nico Williams isn't available. But if you fancy Takuni Minamino, then he could be available. So we ended up going to Liverpool for a right back and signing an attacking midfielder. I mean, that (laughs) kind of summed up our whole January strategy, to be honest with you. So, yeah, they left themselves short. And again, that's something that's really paid the price the last few weeks. So, Vorkins, I have to ask, was he someone who's well highly rated at Southampton? Yeah, I think in terms of, he's obviously still fairly young and I know he hasn't played a lot of Sunderland. I think going forward, he he's good, you know, good left foot whipping and crosses, but defensively, that's why Ralph Hasenhutl didn't really rate him. You know, again, he's, mm-hmm. we. I mean, our, our prime left back is Ryan Bertrand, as you guys will know, an experienced pro, you know, Champions League winner. He's, he's a class player when he wants yeah. to be. So there's a chalk and cheese gap there. But when he did bring Vokins in as sort of cover a couple of times, tried him, he just got found out in the Premier League. And I think the fact he's not playing for you guys, Michael, probably tells you how far he's got to go to develop. Yeah, I was going to say, he looked, he has looked a little bit shook when he's played at this level because, I mean, it is a bit of a culture shock. If you're someone like Vorkins, I don't know his background, but say, for example, if he has played it within Saints Academy under 23 football, even if you move up to the Premier League, you know, is a consistent kind of style of football, very much a nicer style of football than you might find in League One. And he has found it a bit difficult to adapt. I think he looks like a decent player, but I was just interested because he hasn't hit the ground running, but he played against Arsenal in the, mm-hmm. in the league. So I was, you know, I expected a bit more. Yeah, that's that's Ryan's one uh, bit linking. As I as I as I, as I mentioned earlier, anything uh, all, all roads basically to Sunderland on this podcast. <laughs> I think that was partly my fault. Yeah. Actually, wasn't I? I kind of led him down that yeah, way. It so, wasn't We obviously discussed the January transfer window and kind of what Southampton maybe should have done. But um, I also read briefly at the time when the writing was on the wall for Frank Lampard. Uh, Hassan Huttle's name was thrown into the mix. I think so was uh, Nagelsmann and maybe another European name. I know that Allegri always seems to be linked with these jobs. Do you think that kind of had an effect on the team? It was quite light rumours and, and Tuchel was always seen to be the favourite. But I remember reading at the time it was quite a big turnaround, you know, after the, the result we won't talk about 
um, how he's <laughs> gone from you uh, fl- flirting with top of the league to then being linked with Chelsea was, was quite a fantastic turnaround. But I just wondered if it maybe affected the team slightly. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to know that, wouldn't it? I think more importantly, it'd be interesting to know how it's affected Hasenhutl himself yeah. because, you know, when he first came to England, um, he, he said in his first press conference, you know, I'm here to make a name for myself. I want to manage a big club. And I, I think as Saints fans, again, you know, we have to understand, you look at the players that have come through the last few years, we are a, a conveyor belt, a stepping stone, whatever you want to call it. So not a problem with that because if he wants to come in and make a name for himself, ultimately the only way he's going to do that is by winning games and that'll be good for us in the, the short term, right? But mm. The, the Tuchel thing happened quite quickly, didn't it? So there wasn't a lot of um, sort of, you know, mass hysteria for a couple of weeks and, you know, God, Hasenhutl's going to leave and all that sort of thing because kind of Lampard was out and I think it was literally a, a day or later, day or so later, wasn't it, that Tuchel was in. So I, I, I do feel that Hasenhutl probably was interested and if there'd been a conversation to be had at Che, I think he would have been keen to do it. So I almost wonder how sort of um, disgruntled he was that, He's, he probably thought, well, I've been here in the Premier League for 18 months. So I've kind of proven myself. You know, why wouldn't you take a chance on me? So it'll be interesting to see when the next big opportunity comes along and he does get linked with that, whether it sort of, um, you know, mothballs into anything bigger or not. Yeah, no, that'd be, that'd be a really interesting uh, point to kind of see and kind of get under the microscope on. But kind of generally with House and Hutter, you mentioned just before how, you know, fans would be sad to see him leave. Generally now, is, is he, I, I would assume he's safe, but... You never really know the management. I remember when you first came back to the Premier League or the last time you came up and Adkins was the manager. And I remember I sat home with my dad because I think Southampton were, I want to say 13th or 14th in the league. Adkins left and Pochettino came in. I remember Mm -hmm. that was a mistake because Adkins is going to do really well. And Pochettino, I think he got sacked or had left Espanyol. And obviously... It turned out to be a very good move, and I don't know what I'm talking about. So the question I kind of have to you is, is Hassan Huttle's job safe for the time being, or should they look to change, or is that just nonsense? Yeah, I, I think the problem that Saints have is, they have, after Koeman left and went to Everton, we then had Claude Puel, who we sacked. We then replaced him with Maurizio Pellegrino, who we sacked. We then... Uh, had Mark Hughes for about four months, as everyone will remember. And then oh, in, the yeah. summer, in the summer of that year, we offered him a three-year contract, which was an incredible piece of strategic work. We then sacked him three months later, uh, and then eventually Hasenhutl came in. The problem is, you know, Saints haven't got a lot of money. Um, and with the pandemic, the way it's going at the moment, I think we reported about 70 million loss for 2019-20. I imagine like lots of clubs, 2020-21 accounts are going to be pretty grim as well. So... Hasenhutl signed a new four-year contract in the summer, Eche. It's, uh, mm. by, by, from what I understand, I mean, it would cost about 18 million to sack him. So mm. again, it, it costs a lot of money, doesn't it, to sack managers in football? So I think, you know, money aside, I think they are keen and we do need some stability. Um, it's the same group of players pretty much that uh, the last three or four managers have had and they've always been battling relegation. So I think to be fair, you know, he does need investment to, to kind of build his own squad, but I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I guess the point I'm making is if you keep sacking your managers but you still got the same group of players you are generally going to struggle so I think fans really do um, appreciate Ralph Hasenhutl he certainly put a lot of passion into it he developed a new SFC playbook with the club back in the summer about this sort of pathway from the academy to the first team and all of the the sort of under um, 18s the B team kind of training in the same way and playing their games in the same formation so that players can naturally step up so there's a bit more of a sort of a roadmap now than maybe there has been and you kind of want him to stay there for the next 12 18 24 months to to really help that mature 
thought you were going to say 12, 18 years there. That's I'll brilliant. take days the way that some of the <laughs> managers have gone, to be honest. So, yeah. I mean, I'd be, I'd be good to get your views on the ownership at Southampton mm. because I, mean, I know from experience that you can change your manager every season but and it might work in the short term. But eventually you'll get found out and you make losses because you're sacking managers, you're paying them off. You're having to bring in new signings to fit that new manager's demands and what he will, how he wants to play. Eventually when he then gets sacked, the next one comes in and that process kind of starts again and you end up just sparring to debt, which happened to the club that I won't name um, on this podcast anymore. But <laughs> it happened to Sunderland. Um, and I'm interested to know if you have any information on the ownership and whether or not they're looking to sell. Um, because yeah. that really is where Southampton are going to actually turn things around in the long term. 100%. So, I mean, again, from my fairly limited knowledge, absolutely they're up for sale. I think there's been a lot of talk about it the last, I mean, they've probably been up for sale for 18 months or so now. I think for those people that um, uh, maybe on social media or listen to talks, what I think Simon Jordan was talking about it the other day that he'd been approached <laughs> as part of consortium. So uh, again, you know, uh, um, I think the, the word is definitely out there. I mean, from what I understand, it's about 180 million that they're they're up for sale. I think uh, Gal bought them for 210 million. That was for 80 percent. Um, mm-hmm. But basically, they've been run as a sustainable business. And to be fair, you know, we've got some really. Um, I would say ethical and sort of morally compass driven people at the club that are trying to run it in the right way. The problem for Saints, as as you guys will know, is we've our model has always been buy players for 10, 15, 20 million, sell them for 30, 40 million. That's kind of how you mm-hmm. run as a sustainable business. But going back to the point I just made, the reason that we've not sold many players the last few years is because all of our best ones ended up at Liverpool and we were kind of left with what was <laughs> left. Um, and that's why there's so many rumours around about Danny Ings going this summer or Yannick Vestergaard going this summer. I mean, Ings has got just over about 15 months left on his contract. You know, Saints may have to sell him for 20, 25 million this summer if a a Spurs or a Man City come in because, as I said, I mean, the financial results aren't going to be great. So if you've got an owner that's not investing and a club that is losing money sooner or later, that's going to, as you say, get you into problems. So I don't think it's panic stations at the moment. And going back to your original question, absolutely we need to try and get someone to come in and buy the club and invest in it but trying to sell a football club in the middle of a pandemic for 180 million when you've just reported 70 million loss and there's probably going to be near on that again next year I I can't say I'd be sort of jumping at the uh, chance to do that to be honest no absolutely I mean if you look at I mean look at Newcastle United look at Mike Ashley there's a lot of reasons other than how Mike Ashley has handled Newcastle as to the reason why people dislike him um but if you're the fan base at Newcastle he has actually run that club fairly sustainably so He's been there a lot, a lot longer than what your owner has, um, and he has run that quite sustainably. But he's had a lot of allegations thrown at him because when you sell players and don't reinvest it in the club or in the playing team, sorry, you get accused of taking that money out of the club. Um, and then also running the football club sustainably in the Premier League isn't always the way in which you grow in the Premier League because people around you might be actually spending a lot more than they can afford. And while it's noble and it's good for the club in the long term to be sustainable it eventually will start to grind on fans if they see their rival spending a lot more on the transfer market and building their team. Exactly, Michael. I couldn't you know, agree with you more. And you look at like an Aston Villa this summer. I mean, obviously, they're in a slightly different scenario. They've come up from a, a championship budget into the Premier League. They've obviously managed to stay up. So they're kind of spending that money that's going to come down mm-hmm. the line from parachute payments if they got relegated and things like that, which obviously isn't going to happen this year. But again, that's the, the modern football fan. You know, Saints fans see Aston Villa spending, I don't know what it was, 25 million on Ollie Watkins. Why aren't we trying to why aren't we trying to sign him? You know, why 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 are we losing out to players to, to Aston Villa? But the fact is Saints are a lot further down the line and they haven't got 25, 50 million to spend on two players. We're trying to sell um, sign players again, sorry, for 10, 15 million. And 
Mm. I, I go back to what I said. I mean, our transfer and our recruitment over the last few years, you know, we bought in Guido Carrillo for 19 million. He paid seven games and he was shipped out on loan twice. We then let him go for free this summer. Sofiane Buffel, another player that we signed for about 15 to 18 million, um, he's left on a free, you know, with all those wages that we've had to to sort of sign off with him as well. Mario Lamina, same sort of price. He's currently on loan at Fulham, who we're battling <laughs> to stay up against. I mean, there's so, so been so many sort of poor recruitment. I mean, we must have spent 80 to 100 million over the last Mohamed Al Yunusi, another player who's up at Celtic, you know, it's just it's just not worked out. And those are the players that we kind of signed with a view to we will sell them on and that will be our model. And when that's not happening, as you say, it's gonna, you know, there's gonna be a few sort of difficult conversations to have at some point along the line, definitely. Mm. I was, I was going to ask, has there been a change in that regard? Because I know from the days you mentioned before of Mane, uh, Van Dijk, um, uh, Lalana, Luke Shaw. I know Luke Shaw is obviously academy, but mm-hmm. has there been a shift in Southampton in terms of the recruitment? Or is it one of those things where we discussed it before we had a call with you, actually? If you sell Van Dyke and then you sell his replacement, you sell his replacement, and then you sell his replacement, eventually there's going to become a point where, you know, you may not get it right. Is that mm. what's happening with Southampton or is it a more of a general problem that's going on there, do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, that's pretty much what's happened. I, I think we obviously had a, a bit of a change of regime. You know, the likes of Les Reed left, Ross Wilson, who was our head of recruitment, went up to Rangers, Ralph Kruger, who was our chairman, left. And I'm not saying that these guys left at the top of their game as well. They got a little bit stale and I think they'd got a bit too carried away. And the, the current regime that we've got at the club, actually, kind of having to undo that work, as I say, you know, free transfers, loaning players out. They can't spend the money that they haven't got. But yeah, I mean, we, we basically had what, you think of a few years back, we had Toby Alderweireld, right? And we then tried to sign him and obviously Spurs came in and he went to Spurs. So we signed Virgil van Dijk uh, a step up, you know, and that was a player that we signed for 15 million, sold for 75 million. Perfect, you know, perfect for the sustainable model. We then sold him and his replacement was a guy that we were expecting to to play in his position called Wesley Hoyt, who was absolutely dreadful. He's been out on loan three or four times. He's currently a Lazio He's out of contract. Um, I think this summer, if not next summer, we're, we're you know we're not going to get tuppence for him. So that that position, centre back, kind of that almost hits your um, nail on the head in terms of that model is now broken, and we're now trying to find another player, which could be like a Vestergaard to kind of start that process again. Yeah, he's been Vestergaard's been a great signing, and he's also huge as well. I didn't realise how tall he was. Yeah, he's the tallest player in the Premier League. Um, yeah. But a, a point as well that I'd make is, and again, it, it happened with us at Sunderland. You. You bring in a player from, say, the continent. I mean, Vestergaard's been a good example of where that's, that's worked out. But say he didn't work out and he came into Southampton, you have to pay them a higher wage than what they would get on the continent, typically. I mean, Borussia Mönchengladbach, I believe he came from. They're a side that plays in Europa League. They're quite a good side. Perhaps he didn't take a big pay hike to come to the Premier League. But then once they're there, if they don't do so well and you can't ship them on to another Premier League club, who are likely just going to take them on loan if you're desperate to, to sell, it's very difficult to sell them back to the continent at because that player is yeah. not going to want to lose that Premier League wage and that continental club. Say, I mean, we signed a couple of players from France, for example. <laughs> Didier Dong would be the big one whose name gets mentioned on this podcast quite a lot. Um, will you try then to send them back or sell them back to that, to that kind of, to that, well, to that nation or to the continent? It's very, very difficult because that player doesn't want to lose that wage. And yeah. then you end up stuck with this player for so long. Exactly. I mean, we had um, Toby Steele, the managing director of Saints, on the, the pod before Christmas. And uh, he obviously 
oversees a lot of the finances and things like that. He was pretty much saying exactly what you said there, which is there's this joke about, uh, you know, a player wants to come to the Premier League, add a naught onto the ways that you're thinking about. You know, if he's thinking of 5,000, make it 50,000. He said, you know, joking aside, not in every instance, but that is pretty much it. You know, Premier League is seen as the golden goose of European football, isn't it? Players, yeah. not not every player, but lots of players come here because they know that it will pretty much set them up for life. And you're spot on. I mean, even those players that we've had to send out on loan the last two, three years, I imagine Saints have been paying 70, 80% of their wages, even when they've gone to clubs like Leganes and as Guido Carrillo did, because we were paying him 70 grand a week and they were probably paying... 10 grand of that you know so the hit the hit that we're taking just to try and get rid of these players um you know i'm not i'm not saying it's happening in every instance because we've we've done some good recruitment and you, you know there's players that are now working out shea adams you know he's, he's just been called up as you guys will know he's obviously <laughs> scottish three and scottish three and three um so you know play, players like that that we bought in and have developed but there are unfortunately three or four or five of them in that squad that are just never going to work out and I, I imagine at some point they will just leave on free transfers and that's a hundred million pounds worth of business down the drain, really. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a classic story from, from Sunderland is Sebastian Quartes was a Sunderland player whilst in the championship. To get his wage bill off the basically off the books, we then loaned him out to Sport in Lisbon and he was pleased. he was then playing Champions League football for Sport in Lisbon, actually starting and he actually scored midweek. I remember seeing his name crop up as he scored in the Champions League thinking... <laughs> Why are we loaning out a player who's playing the Champions League? We're probably paying half his wage. But it's exactly you're exactly right. It's exactly what happens because you know agents know that a lot of these clubs are desperate because they have short term incentives in the Premier League, and you know to st- staying up is a is a massive deal. They know that, and so you end up paying a premium, premium wage, and if it goes wrong, then you collapse, much like uh, we have. So. <laughs> So um, kind of another question for you, Ben. This is a bit of a tricky mm. one, which includes some maths. So I've known Dryden <laughs> since uh, I've known Dryden since 2012. Uh, how many times do you think he's told me the story about Sebastian Coates <laughs> on loan to Sporting? 2012. So that's nine years actually. Uh, twice a day, 700 <laughs> times about a thousand. About a thousand. <laughs> you're not, yeah, you're, not, you're way off. Way off. About in the in the millions. Every. <laughs> Sebastian Quartes without fail. <laughs> Every time that guy comes up, it's a good point to be fair, but it's one I've heard. Yeah, it, too many. it was it was a loose it was a loose connection as well. I just jumped, I jumped at the chance to tell it. <laughs> I, I could sense we were going down that avenue. I thought, is he going to mention Sebastian Quartes being alone? And there, there it was. There it was. So yeah. Well, we also stuff. we also had um, Fabio Barinha alone at AC Milan. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the same season as well. That's <laughs> just. Yeah, you don't fancy the Barini one as much for some reason. I think the Quartas one hits home a bit more. Played for did you play for Liverpool? Yeah, it was at Liverpool, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that's just quite yeah, it. Was, I mean, yeah. yeah, they both were. Yeah, fair play. Uh, I think uh, moving back on to the Saints, kind of one of the questions. Obviously, we spoke about the fullbacks before. Is where do or what do Southampton need to strengthen the summer? And it's one of those things, right, where you always ask people that support clubs this and then fans start giving you ridiculous lists like Arsenal will start saying yeah Haaland Mbappe would be a good start and obviously yes well, we take pay for them actually definitely <laughs> <laughs> but it's more of a case of what realistically can a lot of clubs do because you're mentioning the profit and loss and the revenue mm. streams at Southampton and many clubs would be the same so what would be the priorities that, that you think Southampton can feasibly do to strengthen this summer yeah good question so two, two parts to this it was really interesting a few weeks ago, actually, um, two, three weeks back, Ralph Hasenhutl was asked about um, getting to the end of the season and what the plan was. And, you know, obviously he didn't want to look too far ahead, but he made a point of saying publicly, 
the club are going to do all they can this summer to to you know invest in me, invest in the squad, kind of put that public pressure on them, uh, which I thought was really interesting because I can imagine then you you can hear this sort of squabbling argument about why did you say that and the pressure that sort of builds from it. So he's clearly sending a message to the club about we can't keep going through this cycle of uh, you know winning a few games, losing a few games, battling relegation because that's not ambition enough for me. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but. Absolutely, fullback. Um, you know, is, is the positions we need to be looking at. Um, it was interesting they said the other week as as well that they, he now wants two players for every position, and he's not necessarily talking about signing twenty two players, but he wants to know that if Joe Bloggs can play left back, then uh, Joe Bloggs can also play right back or something like that. So he's yeah. got the, mm. the option. You know, players can play two or three positions. So fullbacks definitely. Um, elsewhere. I mean, we're not we're not too bad for cover. I mean, you look at the goalkeeper position. We have got Alex McCarthy, Fraser Forster, yeah. both ex England internationals. You look up front; so much relies on the Danny Ings situation because if he does go, you're then having to sign probably two strikers to try and get the goals that he will get. If he stays, you've then got him and Shea Adams. You've got potentially Theo joining on a free transfer who can play up there as well. Um, so I'd say the fullbacks are the key positions, but. I think he will try and strengthen almost right up the spine if he can. And I don't know if the money will be there. It'll be interesting to see how they go about it, whether they shop in the continent, free transfers, mm. loan, loans, how they're going to go about it. I think it's going to be a really interesting summer for all of us to kind of watch our clubs and see what happens really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, looking within as well, I mean, we saw today, I mean, you mentioned Jankwitz, who uh, was sent off within two minutes against United, but mm-hmm. um, was I've seen a lot of people on, on Twitter today saying that he was their man of the match today for Switzerland under 21s against yeah. England. I watched that game. It wasn't great, <laughs> but he did look good. Um, and, you know, he's captain of that side. Uh, so it does beg the question. How well, the question generally is, I mean, what's coming through internally? I mean, him mm-hmm. is a good example to start with, um, but yeah. who else is coming through? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a few coming through. Um, Caleb Watts obviously played in the, the cup game at Shrewsbury. Um, there's Jake Vakins, as we've obviously mentioned. There's yeah. um, Nathan Tello is a fantastic prospect. If anyone watched the Sheffield United game the other week, um, you know, he won the penalty and, and ran them pretty ragged. But the interesting thing about Jankovic, I mean, I refer back to that Manchester United game. That was his debut he got sent off after 73 seconds. You saw Hasenhut was shaking his head on the line at sort of the rash decision. He's not played since and he's had a couple of opportunities to play him. And you almost wonder, well, is he teaching him a lesson or is he thinking, I've lost all confidence in him? You know, he's he's just going to come on here and there, stops and starts now. Because mm. you're right. I mean, obviously, A.D. Boothroyd lost another game as England under-21s manager, which is, seems incredible that he's still in that job but yeah you know <laughs> yeah. that's another conversation as Eche would say but uh, Jankovic um, was was man of the match and obviously um, did a, a you know really good performance so there's undoubtedly potential there but I think it's less about that and more about the trust that Hasenhutl's got or not got in him yeah I think it's um it has parallels with the Liverpool CVs that one because I think and uh, in, in Liverpool CVs I mean not the ones that are injured um, Nat Phillips in particular and Reese Williams that's his mm-hmm. name and I kind of feel like it's a situation a little bit differently where they played a few games and it's like okay these guys are going to do well for us or you know the, the future da, 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 da. and then Hendo dropped into the back four and you're thinking mm, is that well, you know, a guy that's never played CB before in his life, as far as I'm aware, came, came, <laughs> yeah. came through as a right midfielder. What, what does that send to those youth players? And you're using the example now of a red card. It's kind of, it, there's loads of managers that will say, oh, this tough love or this harsh treatment works for players. But I think in the modern era, it doesn't really. You know, we saw Duncan Ferguson sub off Moise Keane. What, how long did he play? 20 yeah, minutes after nice, he came as a sub. Yeah. And, you know, I've watched him since playing for PSG. 
and it's completely different player, uh, you know, and was that really beneficial? Is it really beneficial, this kind of tough love approach with young players? I mean, Mourinho will always be there to tell you that it does and he'll reference, mm. like, he'll probably reference Luke Shaw's form is linked to him being harsh. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing Jose, he'll link it somehow. But you make a really good point there where I, I don't think that type of treatment, either he's lost the confidence in him, as you said, or he's trying to teach him a lesson. But if it's the latter, mm. I, I don't really think it's the best way to work with the younger players in this era of football. Yeah, I, th- I think it's a really interesting subject, isn't it? It probably goes back to the, the compressed season as well. But Hasenhutl's, a bit like Klopp, actually, from the example you're given there, has has taken a bit of criticism from fans because he's 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 trying to strengthen some parts of the team that are struggling, but then he's weakening other parts of the team, if that makes sense. So a bit yeah. like, you know, Klopp felt the only way that he could strengthen his defence was to move Henderson and Fabinho back there, but then their midfield was getting overrun. So what he's done, um, Hasenhutl, he was playing Bertrand at right back um, at Man City the other, the other day. Um, at Everton, he had Stuart Armstrong, who's probably our most creative attacking player, playing in the number six position, which meant he was nullified going forward because he was having to run backwards. Um, at Man City as well, he then pushed Jack Stevens as centre-back into centre midfield. So I suppose the point I'm making is he's trying to plug holes in the team where we're struggling for fitness and things like that at the moment by moving players out of position rather than actually giving a chance to some of the youngsters where that is their natural position. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's always one of those, isn't it? It's quite a tricky one to get that balance that that balance right and yeah there's not really when there's leaks everywhere in terms of the, the either injuries or form then it can be quite a tricky uh, balance and kind of the one of the final questions we have for you mm. or maybe the last one actually is I find clubs like Southampton quite interesting I would probably put in West Ham as well um, I wouldn't say Everton because of the, the amount of money Everton have been spending and West Ham to a degree. But what actually is the aim, do you think, for Southampton? Not just this, this season, obviously, to stay up, etc. and, you know, to finish the league, but next year. Because I think w- what's happening in the Prem now is because there's so much money involved, there really is two halves of the league where you get one half who are the old top six and a few other teams dotted around like Wolves, maybe Leicester and Everton that have a lot of money that are saying, okay, our aim is to get European football and some of those teams, so City and Liverpool, is to win the league. But when you look at the other teams, you know, Crystal Palace as well in the argument, what is their actual aim for the season? Because for Southampton, it would be more than saying, oh, to avoid relegation because Southampton have shown in the past that they're capable of doing that and and much more. So what what would be the aim, do you think, going into the next year? Top half? Would it be to push the outskirts of Europa? It's it's a good question, isn't it? I mean, obviously, we I, th- I think the the season dates have been released today, haven't they? From August mm. the fourteenth to May the twenty second. So obviously, there's going to be an, a, an extra couple of months there, really, that will potentially help clubs with smaller squads like Saints. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's easy to say, well, we want to shoot for European football, which I think should ultimately be the target. I mean, we were in European football two three years back. You know, we had a, a, a fantastically enjoyable. Europa League campaign I, I was lucky enough to go to the San Siro and watch Saints which I never thought would happen in my lifetime you know so incredible experience and you, you want you it's, it's like players isn't it? you get a taste of that and you think oh I'd love to to go to you know Madrid or somewhere like that to, to watch Saints uh, against Atletico or something but yeah I mean I think for Saints if they can finish in the top half next season it'll be a step forward because I, I think they're going to struggle with the, the amount of games left now and whilst it's still fairly tight, the, just the way form's going to probably finish in the top half. As you say, when you look at teams like Villa and Wolves and Everton who are doing you know, pretty well. So for Saints, I think the immediate um, plan has got to be to try and get into the, the top half next season, try and push on towards Europe if they can. Um, and obviously at the same time, p- try and push through 
two or three academy players and have them as regular starters. I think that would probably be the the two key sort of strategic objectives for them, really. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a really well-rounded answer. What I like is when fans are really optimistic, but also have their have their feet on the ground because, you know, parallels of... No, because parallels as well with... You speak to some of my friends who are Arsenal fans like me and, and it's always like... Either it's two things, either they're very pessimistic, so it's like, oh, we're going to be fighting relegation, or it's, yeah, we should go out and sign 300 million worth of talent and win the league. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, obviously, <laughs> uh, it's not really... Either, both of those things are unlikely to happen, but, you know, you want to be ambitious and you want to think, okay what is it we can feasibly do and how can we actually achieve it? Um, so yeah, that, that was actually a really good answer. Right. Well, that's all for this week. Uh, thank you, Ben, so much for appearing on the podcast and for your insights on Southampton. It really has been a mixed season, um, but you have got a man in Ralph Hassenhutl who, you know, does potentially have what it takes to take you up the league and hopefully with the right investment to come down the line uh, sooner rather than later, then we can see Saints climb up the table and away from that dreaded, uh, relegation spot. So yeah, Ben, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, good luck with all your endeavours with the, the Total Saints podcast. And uh, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll see you again sometime. Yeah, likewise, guys. Really enjoyed it. And uh, yeah, likewise, uh, wish you the best of luck with your podcast as well. Cheers, thanks for that. Cheers.